0: Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask if you would take your copy of Scripture and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. We are going to finish up our series on 1 Peter this week and uh, begin a new series through the summer. We've entitled our summer series, Walk Wisely. And we're going to look at selected subjects from the book of Proverbs. Uh, I have preached only rarely from the book of Proverbs. I'm not sure. I've, uh, I've used some scripture verses since I became your pastor to preach out of the book of Proverbs. But I don't know that I've preached a specific sermon from the book. And it is a fascinatingly wonderful book of wisdom that I think is helpful in these wicked days in which we live. To figure out how we're to behave, not just inside the body of Christ, the church, but how we behave in our everyday spheres of life. So, if you want to read ahead through the book of Proverbs, then we're going to be in some of those selected proverbs over the summer. Today, we're going to finish up this sermon series, "Living Hope in Troubled Times," with a sermon entitled "Christ-Centered Glory." In the latter part of verse ten, uh, the Phrase is described. We have been called to His eternal glory in Christ. We have been called to something meaningful and wonderful. Let me contrast that with something I read earlier this week. I occasionally will scroll through the news headlines to see if there's any important news nationally or internationally or within different spheres of influence to kind of read and see what's going on and. One title of a news article kind of uh, struck me. The title was this, Take It Easy, Nothing Matters in the End. And it was a conversation from a journalist with William Shatner. Now, many of you will know who William Shatner is. He played Captain Kirk on Star Trek. Interestingly enough, William Shatner has turned 90 years old. Can you believe that? If you listen to him and see him, and he doesn't seem an in Act 90 at all, but he's turned 90 years old. So the journalist interviewed him and asked him some questions, a variety of questions. Here was one of the questions the journalist asked. I asked what he wishes he would have known at 20 that he knows now at 90. Here was Shatner's answer. It's an interesting answer, he said. I'm glad I didn't know because what you know at 90 is take it easy, nothing matters in the end, what goes up must come down. If I'd known that at 20, I wouldn't have done anything. Think about that from a person who has been successful. His name is known all over the world for acting and films and his interesting personality. Here's his comment at 90 years old. If I'd have known what I knew then I wouldn't have done anything because it's all meaningless. Is that true? Do do we have a meaningless existence? I'm just going to tell you, if our lives are meaningless, then none of us ought to be here in the room today. None of you ought to be watching on any streaming platforms. What's the point if everything is meaningless? That is contrasted with what Peter says about us, that we are on the road to a place called glory and to an experience of glory. The reality is, folks, that God has something bigger in store for us, which is why we can go through the challenges and the difficulties of troubled times. So the reason Peter wrote this way to this church was he was encouraging them to know that even if you go through something difficult even if you face persecution, even when you go through suffering, even when you are isolated, even when life is difficult, there is something beyond to give us an experience of hope and and to let us know that our lives are full of meaning and wonder. And Peter gives us three reminders on the road to glory that you and I as followers of Jesus need to be aware of. Let's read this text. We'll begin in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist Him, firm in your faith. But that, by the way, that is a challenging imperative right there. And we'll come back to why in a moment. Think about it. Resist Him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus. A faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a holy kiss or with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Three reminders that Peter gives us on the road to glory. The first is this. Our enemy makes the road to glory... Dangerous. Peter tells us that we're to humble ourselves. He's writing to the entire church. This isn't just a a specific lesson for the elders in the church like we looked at last week. Humble ourselves before the Lord. It's interesting Peter would say to us, don't wait on God to humble you, but humble yourself. Acknowledge that you are not and you are not able. Bow before him in humility and self-surrender. Cast your anxieties on him. He will handle it and take care of it. And then he says in verse 8... Be sober-minded. We've heard that before already in Peter. Be watchful, which is very similar to taking our minds up, being ready to think, being ready to act, being ready to know what's going on. And that word be watchful goes all the way back to when Jesus looked at his disciples in the garden before his crucifixion and said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Peter is giving an imperative to his his readers and saying, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Be on the alert. Be ready. Why? Notice what he says. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to change us he wants to debilitate our christian experience he wants to move us away from god he wants to keep us from being able to trust he wants to keep us from being, being able to experience the goodness of god in our daily walk he wants to keep us from looking forward to glory that's what he wants to do in our lives and then peter says we're to resist him resist this devil so how does the devil want to destroy us what does he want to do how does he want to shape us and mark us? I mean, I don't remember the last time I was walking down anywhere, whether it's in the church or outside the church or walking at home, and a great, uh, red, roaring, demonic lion tried to take over my experience. I don't remember the last time that's happened. It, well, I mean, visually. Personally, it's never happened. I've never had that day-to-day experience. We know that the devil doesn't try to swallow us up as a literal lion. So what is it he's getting at? Cyprian, an early church writer of the third century, describes it this way. This was written 1,700 years ago. So forgive some of the, you know, difficulty in translation. But it's really helpful for us to think about how Satan wants to keep you and I from experiencing glory and how we need to be aware that the road to heaven is dangerous. The devil goes around us individually and like an enemy besieging those shut up, he examines the walls and explores whether there might be some part of our members less firm and less trustworthy by entrance through which a way inside may be affected. He offers to the eyes unlawful appearances and seductive pleasures that he may destroy purity through sight. He tempts the ears by harmonious music that he may get rid of and weaken Christian strength by the hearing of a pleasant sound. He arouses the tongue to reviling. He urges the hand to capricious murder when it is excited by injuries. He provides unjust gains that he may make a cheat of us. He piles up dangerous profits that he may ensnare the soul by money. He promises earthly honors that he may take away heavenly ones. He manifests false values that he may steal away the true values. And when he is not able to deceive secretly, he threatens clearly and openly, bringing forward the fear of violent persecution in order to overcome the servants of God. Always restless, always hostile. Get this, he is cunning in peace and violent in persecution. Our adversary the devil, according to one commentator, his aim is not to destroy us outright. It is to bring us to a place of apostasy and separate us from walking with God and trusting in Christ. Say, well, well you know, he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't gotten me to murder lately. I'm okay. I haven't stolen anything. I'm I'm doing fine. Well, what about this? For the last 15 months, 16 months, what, what has happened in our world? It, there have been times where all of us, our trust in God has been shattered because of our internal fears and worries. And we have walked around as if we are the only ones that have things figured out or as if we, we don't have anything figured out and we're not at all putting our hope and trust in God. There have been times we have been driven away from the things of God because... We want to have some measure of control of our daily experience. I know some individuals who have been apostatized from faith. In other words, they're no longer participating in Christian experience because they've made an idol of some sort of activity. Baseball, dance, sports, television. Or they just said, man, life's too tough. I can't be a part of church on Sundays because I've got to have a day to recuperate. That's what church is for. It's to get our heart and attention back to God, focus our attention on Him, worship Him, reset ourselves, acknowledge Him in His glory. I'm going to tell you something. Satan, during this pandemic, has been incredibly successful at apostatizing believers of all stripes and sorts. Not totally destroying their Christian experience, but basically putting them in a situation where they're spiritually impotent. They have no strength. They have no faith, they have no, they have no stability because they, don't, they haven't walked with God for a year and a half. And I'm not just saying that as an experience of being in church or out of church. I'm saying that as some people who haven't walked with God in their personal devotions, they haven't joined us on any streaming platform, they are gone from, from the spiritual experience. Satan's destroyed their spiritual lives without biting them, eating them, but with simply destroying their trust and their walk with God. I'm telling you, he wants to do that with all of us. The greatest fear I have is not that Satan would come down and wipe me out in a physical sense. It's that Satan would get me to a point where I would walk away from everything that God has built up in my spiritual experience. There's hardly a day or a week goes by that I don't read a headline in some kind of Christian publication about another evangelical who has become an ex evangelical Another pastor who has decided to call it, call it done and walk away from ministry. Another uh, minis- Christian musician or Christian artist who has said, I'm tired of these bigoted Christians that I don't like anymore, and I'm going to go look at faith from a totally different perspective. I'm afraid that what Satan wants in our lives is he wants to push us away from God. Subtly, in small ways by getting us to focus on things that are completely unimportant, by getting us to divide over issues that don't matter, our road to glory is dangerous and our enemy makes it so. So what do we do? How is it that we stand against the devil? Did you catch the uh, competing illustrations? Do you realize who we are, folks? Earlier in chapter 5, God called us his flock. We are the flock of God. We are sheep. And our enemy is a lion. Do you realize that lions don't stand a chance against sheep? Excuse me. Sheep don't stand a chance against lions. Sorry about that. I I was thinking about Disney's Lambert. Y'all remember Lambert, the sheepish lion? The lion who didn't realize that he was a lion. He thought he was a sheep. And he finally realized he was a lion and he scared away the wolves. Let me tell you, that's not us. There are not inner lions in our being ready to stand up against the, the enemy and defeat him. That's not who we are. We are sheep. And yet Peter says, resist the devil. Hold on hold on a second, hold on a second. I have never seen a sheep fight off a lion. That just doesn't happen. Sheep lose every time. Why is it that Peter would say resist? Folks, because we have the line of the tribe of Judah living inside of our hearts and lives. Because when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, God is our victor. God is the one who wins our battles. God is the one who rescues and defeats. What Peter is saying very clearly to us as followers of Jesus The reason we humble ourselves before God is because we don't need to go out there with our Bible water pistols and try to take over the devil and defeat him. We need to bow before God, realizing that we're going to lose. But if we have God on our side and if he's the one fighting our battles for us, we're never going to lose. We're not going to not be devoured. We're not going to be apostatized. We're not going to walk away from faith because God is dwelling within us. But the key to that for us spiritually is that we're on our knees more often than we're on our feet. The key to that is that we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and realize that it's not about my spiritual strength. It's about me recognizing my spiritual weakness and depending on God to win the victory. Resist The devil is what Peter says. Notice how he describes it. Resist him. What? Firm in your faith. It's not about my strength or your strength. It's about God's glorious victory. He doesn't lose. He didn't lose on the cross. He didn't lose in the grave. He won't lose in the battle of Armageddon later on in the book of Revelation. He won't lose when he returns. He won't lose when we go to heaven. He wins what is our key. To stand firm in the faith that God is victorious. But I want to tell you this. I want to warn you. Our road to glory is dangerous. Satan does not want you to live the experience of Christian victory and Christian glory. Satan wants you to be depressed. He wants you to be frustrated. He wants you to doubt. He wants your faith to be to, to die or to be dying. That's what he wants. He wants you to look around at the world and say it's hopeless. And walk away from Trusting God every day because of those things that you see. What Peter says is, be on the alert. Be watchful. Don't get caught off guard. Because if you get caught off guard, then Satan will get a stronghold in your life. And pretty soon, your faith will not be firm anymore. It will be shaky. And when it's shaky, you can't rely on your dependence on the Lord anymore. Because you're not close to Him. You're not nearing. Our road to glory is dangerous. Our enemy makes it so. And we need to be ready. We need to resist. We need to stand firm. We need to put our faith in God. We need to be humble. We need to bow before Him. A second reminder that Peter gives us is this. Our Lord makes the road to glory possible. Catch this. Look at verse 10. Look at the end of verse 9, by the way. He says... Resist him firm in faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. By the way, we're not alone. Satan's been trying these tactics for thousands of years, and he has continued to lose for thousands of years. And we need to know that and remember that. the Persecution our brothers and sisters have faced for thousands of years has ended in, or not ended, but has resulted in, the victory of the church continuing to spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus all across the world. And our Lord is the one that brings that about. Notice what he says in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, because it's going to happen, if you're not suffering now, just hold on. Just just wait a couple of days. Something's going to happen. Wait a few weeks. Something's going to happen. You're going to go through something outside of your control that's a suffering, that's a trial, a difficulty, a temptation, Satan attacking you. After you've suffered for a while, the God of all grace. Do you get that? The God of all grace. Do you know why our Lord makes the road to glory possible? He does so because of grace. You're not on the path to glory because you're a good person. You're not on the path to glory because you came to church in a pandemic. You're not on the path to glory because you read your Bible this morning. You're not on the path to glory because you're nice to people. You're not on the path to glory because you're not a racist, You're not on the path to glory because you voted a certain way in the last election or voted a different way in the election previous. You're not on the path to glory for any good you've done. We're on the path to glory and the path to heaven because God looks down at us and in His mercy and in His pity, He has grace upon us. He looks at us and all of our stuff in all of our self-exaltation, in all of our wickedness, in all of our unrighteousness. And he said, I still want to save you. I still want to wash you. I still want to cleanse you. I still want to forgive you. The God of all grace is the one that took your sin and wiped it away and brought you into a relationship with himself. Why all grace? Because none of the grace that you've ever experienced comes from anyone other than ultimately God. He's the one that makes it possible for us to even think about heaven. Not our goodness, not our righteousness, the God of all grace. Notice what he says he will do. The God of all grace who has called you to this eternal glory in Christ. Get this. Here's the abundant. This blows my mind and it should blow our mind. If if you pause and just think about this for a second, you should walk out of here shouting and praising God. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if you really got to thinking about it. it. Somebody will shout in church tonight. Now that's going to scare some of you if it happens. I don't care if it does or not, but think about this. God not only wants to save you, that's pretty good. Okay, not hell. That's what saving you means, not hell. You get to go be with God in heaven. That's pretty, that's wonderful, right? We all look forward to that. He not only wants to save you, not hell. He has called you, meaning he has purposed for you, get this, to his eternal glory In Christ, God wants to share his brightness, his weight, his honor, his majesty, and his splendor with you. I'm going to tell you something. It should amaze us. That God wants to bring us to heaven and not just give us a little hut down you know side street in heaven and just say, whoo, oh, we got here by the skin of our teeth man i 'm thankful to be here I'm thankful not to be down in the burning place where where, where I 'm on fire forever He doesn't just want to put us in in this little spot. He wants to bring us into a close, personal, intimate relationship with Him where we share in His glory. You ever been around somebody that you want to share in their glory? Of course you have. You've been around a boss, or you've been around an athlete, or you've been around somebody popular, and all you really wanted to do was get near them because if you got near them, you might share in some of that adulation. You might get in on the benefits and blessings that they had. You might be able to get close to them a little bit. If you got close to them a little bit, you might get a little bit of that shine on you. Of course, we've all been there, especially when you're teenagers, you know, or when you're kids. It's the way we operate. I'll tell you this, what God wants to do, he doesn't want us to kind of hide behind him in the sense of, I'm going to get close to God, maybe I'll share in his glory. He's calling us to this. He wants to take us to heaven so that when we're in heaven, the glory of Christ will reflect off of pure, sinless faces like yours and mine because he's made us pure and sinless. He wants us to share in that. The only way that happens is him. He's the one who makes it possible. How does he make it possible? Because the honest truth is none of us in the room right now feel like that should be reality. We're broken people. Look look back across your life. Look back across the decisions you made. Maybe years ago, or maybe yesterday. The way you acted, the way you spoke, and you're thinking, I can't share in the glory of Christ. No way, no way God would want that. Notice this, here's this. He will himself, God will do these things. Look, restore. That word is the same word used in Matthew 4.21 when James and John were mending their nets. God will mend you. I'm looking out across the room and I know some other folks that attend our church and I certainly know my own life. I know there are times in my life where I have been broken from my own sin. I've really bombed it. I've messed up. I know other times that have been broken because of a situation that happened to me. Here's what God says he is doing and will do. He will mend you. He will fix that brokenness. He will step into that problem that's in your life. And if you will bow yourself in humility before him, you know what he'll do? He may not make everything work out like you think he's going to. He will fix you. He will mend you. I'm talking to some mended people in the room. In fact, some of you wouldn't be here had God not stepped into your circumstance and mended you and fixed something in your past, fixed a brokenness, a sin, a wickedness. He mended you. So guess what? We're a bunch of mended people. That should mean a couple of things. I, I don't, I'm kind of off topic just a little bit, but it's okay. We need to know this, that God mends us, should remind us that we have no right to be pharisaical and self-righteous. It doesn't matter who walks into this worship service, this church on a Sunday or a Wednesday. It doesn't matter what their past is. It doesn't matter what their present is. We're all mended people. We don't get to heaven because we fixed ourselves We get to heaven only because we have a God of all grace who has looked down in our ungodly, wicked past and chosen in his grace to cleanse and forgive us anyway. We're mended. If we have been redeemed by God, he has restored us. We have no right to be pharisaical and self-righteous. That also lets us know no one's beyond hope. Some of you have given up on some people. Let me clue you in on something. Some of you had some people in your past that gave up on you. But God didn't give up on you. He still mended and restored you. Some of you are like, I don't know. Is God going to fix this person? Is he going to solve this situation? Is he going to save this person? Don't give up. Don't give up. Mending takes time. Do you realize that? When you have to fix something, it takes time. I remember going fishing with my dad. We had bait casting rods. You ever had a a, a bird's nest and a bait casting rod where the the line just goes all to pieces? I mean, that's the only thing I know about fixing fixing or mending fishing nets. I've never fished with a net. But I can only imagine that mending a net was just as tedious and took just as long. But God is patient with you and with me and he has mended us. And he can mend whoever is in your life that needs to be mended. He's able to do that. Okay, let me move on because I have to. He confirms us. He affirms that we're his. It's like a, a, a spiritual affirmation. Yes, Chris, you've been forgiven. You're mine. You don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to earn it or deserve it. I'm confirming you in my family, in my home and in my family's relationship with me. He strengthens us. Any of you need strength? Of course you do. Do you realize, how did you, have you thought about this for a second? How did you make it through the past year? Have you ever paused and thought about that? Because there were some moments where I was breaking. You know, there were some moments where I was flustered. There were some moments where I was, I, I, I was kind of hanging on by a thread. How did I make it? How did you make it? Well, God in His supernatural, wonderful, glorious grace strengthened you. And if we don't look back and give him some credit for that and thank him for that, then we're, we're fools. We need to thank God for the strength that he's given us. You know how you're going to make it through tomorrow? Next week, the decision you've got in front of you, the choice, the circumstance, the suffering, you're going to make it because God will strengthen you. He's made a promise. How about this? He will establish you, give you a foundation, ground you. Let me tell you something about foundations. If you don't have them, your house is in trouble. It just is. But when your foundation is God, you can be assured of eternal glory. And that's his point. He's going to make sure that it happens. Our Lord makes the road to glory possible for anyone who will trust in him, but assured for everyone who has trusted in him. And then he goes on and closes with this doxology, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you're watching or in the room and you have not received King Jesus as Lord of your life, now's the time to do it. I'm going to tell you something. It may look like Christians are losing. It may look like the Bible is outdated. It may look like we're not in control in culture. It may look like we're on the wrong side of history. It may look like all those things. I'm going to tell you something. To him be the dominion forever and ever and ever There's only one Lord, and His name is Jesus. There's only one King, and His name is Jesus. There's only one forgiver, and His name is Jesus. And if you have not confessed your sins and acknowledged that you're unrighteous, you're going to be on the wrong side, not of history. You're going to be on the wrong side of eternity. And I would beg of you, let today be the day that you bow your heart to Jesus and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. Our Lord makes the road to glory possible. I want you to get this, number three. Our friends make the road to glory meaningful. Peter closes this way in just a wonderful, wonderful little postscript. Pretty typical for Peter's letters as well as Paul's. He writes this, By Sylvanus, faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Sylvanus is probably the same Silas that Paul went on his second missionary journey with. Peter evidently was relying on Silas, Sylvanus to take this letter to the church to whom it was sent. Probably Silas was going to be the reader of the letter. And so what Peter does is he says, by Sylvanus, by Silas, this letter is going to come to you. You can count on it. He, he's someone I can count on. And then he goes on and says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings as done to my son Mark, Mark my son. She who is at Babylon, probably a church. He's probably referencing the church at Rome as the she. Now, it's possible, other commentators have said maybe he's talking about his wife, but he would have probably named his wife. But she who is at Babylon is likely the church. So so Peter's acknowledging, I've got Silas who's taken the letter, and I've got the church who greets you. They make my life meaningful and this letter meaningful, and you can count on it. And then notice this, and so does my son Mark. And then he says, greet, my, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, let me pause for, on that one just a second. Uh, a kiss, which was basically touching the cheeks, uh, it was a form of greeting. It would be akin to our handshake. What is Peter saying? Show compassion and friendship to one another. I'm comfortable giving handshakes now. So if you want to give a handshake, I'll give a handshake. In, in honor of greet one another with the kiss of love. Uh, what Peter's saying is we need the camaraderie of Christianity. We need one another. We need to know that we're brothers and sisters in Jesus. We need to be together on that. That's what's going to get us through. Our friends make the journey meaningful. And, and what's beautiful about this is when Peter mentioned Mark. You know something about Mark? Mark had some really embarrassing moments in his life. In the book of Mark, chapter number 14... Uh, Jesus and his disciples were in the garden praying. And they, remember, they came to arrest Jesus and the disciples scattered. And there's this little verse in 51 and 52 of Mark 14. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but left the linen, he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Most scholars think that that reference is a reference to Mark. See, Mark was, his family was a part of those who had followed Jesus. We find that out in Acts chapter 12. Remember when Peter was brought out of prison, where did he go? He went to John Mark's house. And he knocked on the gate, remember, and and they didn't believe it was Peter there. They thought it was his ghost, but that was John Mark's house, okay? And so in one embarrassing instance, John Mark ran away when Jesus was arrested and ran away with nothing on. His outer cloth was taken away. Embarrassing. He ran from Jesus being arrested. He had another embarrassing moment years later. Paul and Barnabas took him on a missionary journey. And uh, a couple of cities in, Mark said, this isn't for me. I'm going home. And he ran away from the mission. And and the next time Paul and Barnabas were going to go on mission, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. And remember, Paul didn't. And they had a big division And so, what did God do? God multiplied by division. He sent Paul and Silas on a missionary journey, and he sent Barnabas and John Mark on a missionary journey. And then we find out in this letter that John Mark, Peter considers him his spiritual son. In other words, Mark had some embarrassing moments in his life. He had some walking away from God in his life. He had some failures in his life, but you know what God mended him? God forgave him, God cleansed him, God restored him. God put spiritual fathers in his life like Peter who looked at him. And even when Mark had missed the boat several times, Peter knew, well, I've missed the boat several times too. I sunk on the water and I denied Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And I want to tell you why this matters. It matters because had Barnabas not showed Mark some grace, had Paul not forgiven Mark, who he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Mark is helpful for me, had Peter not referenced Mark here, you know what we might not have? We might not have the Gospel of Mark. And without getting into a lot of weeds, most scholars think that the Gospel of Mark was basically the foundation for the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. They're synoptic Gospels. They depend on one another. There's a lot of theological detail we could get into, but I just want you to think about this for a second. Most Bible scholars think that Mark was the first Gospel written in the 40s or 50s AD, and it's because people like Peter and Barnabas and even Paul at some point didn't give up on a young man who had some embarrassing moments in his life. Folks, if God can mend Mark, if God can show grace to Peter, if God can care about us as his people, you know what? We need to be able to look out around us and see our friends that are struggling, see our friends that need a phone call, see our friends that need a text message, see our friends that need a prayer request, see our friends that need some help, come alongside them and help make the road to glory meaningful. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to get into heaven one day. That's going to be really awesome. But what's even going to be more amazing is looking around and seeing who else is there. Will there be anybody there because you brought them along? Folks, we're going to glory. Our Lord makes it so. Let's take some people with us. Stand with me, if you will, as we close in prayer. Father, I am humbled by the grace you've shown me. I don't deserve anything that you have given and blessed me with. You have mended me so many times, fixed my messes. I thank you for that. Lord, I look forward to heaven. I look forward to glory. Lord God, until I get there and until we get there, will you help us to bring others along? Lord, will you give us the wisdom to, and the strength to resist our enemy? Will you help us trust in you and depend on you? Lord, will you help us to look around and take others with us? Whether it be lost people that need salvation and share the good news with them, whether it be Christians that are on that road to apostasy and running away from faith, will you help us to go after them? And bring them back. And help them know, Lord, that you love them and care about them. Thank you for mending Mark. Thank you for mending Peter. Thank you for making their journey meaningful. Lord, make ours meaningful. Until we get there. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.